0: Couple of special guests. Uh, most of you probably remember Bill and Susan Wilkinson. That's the correct response. They uh, a few years ago had a transition in ministry uh, down to Tennessee, and uh, they're back for a little bit. And we are just excited to be in your presence. Right? So awesome. So they're, they're going to share a little ministry update, and uh, we're going to love to hear from them and uh, also join them in praying for what God has next for them.
1: Thank you. Thank you. This is kind of an emotional morning for us, so bear with me. Um, hello, Church on the Rock. Good to see you guys. I, I do, for those of you that are new, I do have giant note cards. And yes, these are my note cards. Well, our our hearts are really blessed this morning to see you all. Um, Bear with me. You know, 10 years ago, God called us to Alaska and uh, to have a home for pastors and missionaries to come and be strengthened and encouraged and loved on. And uh, we'd never heard of anybody doing that, but we looked at a map and we said, we're going to pick five cities and we're going to go to five cities and then choose a place. And we came to Homer first and we never went anyplace else. (laughs) You guys know that feeling, don't you? We found a home that wasn't for sale, thanks to God and Pat and Patty McDonald. Um, and We found a ministry called Arctic Barnabas Ministries. We were just going to do this on our own. And Arctic Barnabas Ministries started about 20 years ago. There was a pilot named Joel Caldwell and a missionary family asked him to fly them out to a village and he loaded up his plane and all their belongings and they were so excited, the the couple and their kids, and they went out to this village and dropped them off and they were just so enthused about being missionaries in the villages. Six months later, Joel got a call, said you gotta come pick us up and he flew out and when he flew into the airport, there was the dad and the kids, each with one suitcase The mom had flown out a couple weeks earlier and that family was, they were down, they were discouraged, um, they they were broken. That missionary couple divorced within a year and Joel Caldwell recognized the need and started Arctic Barnabas at that time to strengthen and encourage pastors and missionaries that are out there serving Jesus in the remote areas of Alaska. So we came to Homer and with your help, with you guys encouraging us, and a lot of people here at Church on the Rock coming alongside of us. Um, Tom and Dory, Tom put in a kitchen at our house so the missionaries could have a place to cook. Tony and Danny helped us put in the fire pit and, and put in floors in the house and things like that. A lot of you came over and you were cleaning, you were blessing the families, you were cooking, helping us love on these pastors and missionaries that are out there. And because of your support, we were able to do this all at no charge to them. And I tell people, if we charged them, most of them wouldn't be able to come. They couldn't afford it. And then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, we went from having 240 people a year to zero because the villages shut down. But we expanded, God gave us some wisdom and we expanded what we were doing our ministry And we started sending out boxes, box after box, hundreds of boxes. We would call the missionary say, what do you need? And we'd load up those priority boxes and we'd ship five or six priority boxes to each missionary. They couldn't get just basic needed supplies. And after a bit, God moved us to Tennessee. And I don't think at that time we understood quite why why God was putting it and why that time would be so important to us. but we kept sending out those blessing boxes, even from Tennessee. We continued to bring people to Homer and we were using many of your places to do it. Bed and breakfast and uh, cabins and Land's End and Aspen Suites and about every place in between. And we even brought some of them down to Tennessee when they were doing their fundraising. We had some of the missionaries drop in. It it, It was a blast. And still still able to do it all at no charge to all these missionaries, thanks to so many of you that came alongside us and enabled us to do that. So here we are at the end of that. And Scott, you wanna put up our, our move to our next slide there. This is, this is uh, what it was like for some of the, this is why people love coming to Homer, isn't it? This is a missionary with Samaritan's Purse. Moose on 18 inches on the other side of the window. That's that's the best picture I could have a Homer. Um, Next one, Scott. So this is me. Here Susan and I are, we've had four surgeries. I've had 50 plus kidney stones later, blood clots in both lungs, a sister that went home to be with Jesus. And many of you here prayed for my dad who had throat cancer, cancer that wrapped around his esophagus to the point that he couldn't breathe. And the oncologist said, there's nothing we can do. And he said, well, what do I do now? And she said, you you need to call hospice now. And I want to tell you here today, the most important message you can leave with is God is still in the miracle business. Because two weeks later, my dad went in and had a full body scan and they found zero cancer in his entire body. God's still doing miracles. So we're here, we're rusted, we're renewed, we're refreshed. I don't, I don't think we left, we realized how exhausted we were. And we've been so encouraged by so many of you who've sent cards and called and texts and just come alongside us in this time of renewal and refreshment for us. And so many times, the most, one of the most amazing things to me is how I'll get a call from Arctic Barnabas Ministries and they'll go, "Oh." So-and-so family just sent you a check with a note to say they want to help you do what you're doing to bless these ministries. Somebody I hadn't talked to in two years, and God laid it on their heart. But there's another part. They, they had to say yes to God. Yeah, we'll help. We'll come alongside. Thank you guys for doing that. And, you know, people ask, why do we do what we do? I mean, we're retired. We should be living the good life, right? Right. Number one reason is we don't want to end up in the belly of a whale. Because when God calls you someplace, if you don't go, just ask Jonah. Let me ask you, how many of you have ever felt isolated or alone or down? Some of you, your pants are on fire right now. You ought to have your hand up in the air. Imagine feeling like that, you don't have any place to go and you don't have a neighbor, or anybody that you can talk to. And you're trying to do what God has called you to do, but sometimes you really need that time away and you can't get away. I mean, even Jesus took time away from the crowds, right? Imagine those things and you can't leave. That's life for a lot of the missionary families that are serving in Alaska in the remote villages. A pastor that I spoke to a couple months ago, I called him and when we talked to him, we said, we're gonna give your family a time in Homer. You bring them to Homer. We'll cover the cost. We're gonna help you with your travel expenses. We're gonna help you with your food while you're here. He broke down on the phone sobbing. He couldn't believe that we would do that. He wasn't sobbing that he was coming to Homer. He was sobbing because he was blessed. He said to me, Bill, we have not been out of the village for two years. Amazing. You know, the remote villages of Alaska, um, the abuse rates are just off the charts. Alcohol abuse, drug abuse, sexual abuse. One of the things God used me to draw, used in me to draw us here was when I'd hear about the suicide rates. Hold up your finger, two fingers, like the P. Let's have a peace rally here. Two. The suicide rate in Alaska is two times the national average. Did you know that? Now I want you to hold up, hold up three and a half fingers. The suicide rate in the remote Native Alaskan village villages is three and a half times the national average now I want you to hold up 14 fingers okay. if you have to borrow four from a neighbor that's okay listen to this the suicide rate for the native Alaskan men age 15 to 24 is 14 times the national average that's frightening People are dying without hope. We all need hope. Look at me, people. You have a hope. You have a future. God has a plan for you. You know how I know that? The Bible tells me so. Anything other than that is a lie from the devil. And that's what we're battling in the villages. There is a hope. There is a future. There is a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11. Look that up. The Bible tells me so. That hope and that future and that plan is found in Jesus. People, that's why we do what we do. We strengthen, we encourage, we come alongside the people who are bringing that hope of Jesus to these remote Alaskan villages. Scott, you got our last slideshow? This was yesterday. We came in and I wanna tell you here today, we feel like our season is done in Tennessee. And when we get back, the house is going up for sale. And while we're here for these next two months, we're looking for a home in Home Sweet Homer. So pray for us. We really need God's wisdom. We love you, Church on the Rock. You guys are are the absolute best. We need your help. We love you.
0: Thank you, Bill. I think everybody in the room who knows Bill and Susan said in unison, amen to that, right? So I want to welcome up our speaker today, help me welcome Edson Knapp, Dr. Edson Knapp. He's going to be starting a, a new series that he's been working on for a little while. Um, and we are extremely excited to hear from you today. I'm I excited too. Yeah. Let yeah. me yeah. pray for you and we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for uh, this man and the way that you have uh, gifted him to uh, share your word with us, uh, to edify and encourage us uh, towards you. And I pray that you would speak through him today, uh, that you would give him words uh, to minister to our hearts and our minds and our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen.
2: Am I on? Yeah, I'm on. Okay. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um After that bell, I don't think I actually need to be up here. I could just be like, call it and call Chris up. That was wonderful. Um, I need to mention very briefly that I have a new vehicle. You may see it. It's a white, very old Land Rover. Um, And I call it mine because I've wanted a Land Rover for a really long time. I grew up in Africa. My parents were missionaries. Most of you all know that. And my role on Sundays was to sit in the back of the Land Rover with 50 or so um, Tanzanians who were getting a ride to go somewhere. And I always thought one day I'm going to own a Land Rover and I can drive instead of sitting in the back. (laughs) So it's been a dream for a long time. (laughs) So we found one in Denver and I made the mistake of agreeing for Renda to go down and um, pick it up and drive it back by herself. Yeah, she's, yes, well, see, there's no surprise. Everybody's clapping for her. Um, So this, the problem with this plan, which was a great plan, I now have the car, is that she had 4,000 miles with the car. So it's been named by her. The family has endorsed the name. Um, The name is Joey. If you see the white Land Rover driving around, that's Joey. It's named because it grew up on a kangaroo farm in Australia. That's where it spent most of its life. It's from 1994. Um, And I noticed when I was invited to drive it for the first time that I had to receive permission from my wife. (laughs) And so if you see me driving it, you don't have to say that's Edson's new car. You can say that's Renda's new car, but Edson is allowed to drive it. Um, And it's loud and it's cranky and it's an old Land Rover, but... We've we've really had fun with it. Um, so I'm talking about God is love uh, this morning, and just very briefly, where did where did we decide? Where did I decide to talk about this topic? Um, we had that whole series on repentance, um, and Rand and I were on the prayer team during that time for a couple of those sermons, and we both noticed that people came to repent, but. It just didn't feel like they had a sense of how much God loves them um, and how much he desires um, to bless us, to be with us, to have a relationship with us. Um, and I said to Rent at the time, man, I would love to preach about God's love. Um, in part because she and I are so amazingly blessed in our life. Um, and we would love for others to have that sense of love that, that we have. From God, um, And she said three sermons in a row and week after week, I get very exhausted after I speak. Um, I'll go home and like sleep all afternoon. She's like, no, you can't do that. And so sure enough, here we are a little while later, uh, three sermons in a row. So today we're going to, yeah, so this afternoon I'll go home and sleep and then I'll start next week's. But anyway, um, today we're going to talk about our past uh, because one of the reasons many of us struggle with knowing that God loves us, um, is because we have those things in our past that still affect us today. Uh, so there can be things like um, some really severe emotional trauma we went through, and we're not really sure that God was there. Um, and it kind of leaves a doubt in our mind about whether or not God could love us because he didn't rescue us from that. Um, it may be, um, as some have said when I was talking about this, you know, Edson, you can't really preach on God's love because the audience will know God loves you, me, but he doesn't love the person sitting in the audience because there's that thing I've never told anyone about my life. And so they, they love sermons on God's love, but it doesn't really, like, reach inside because they know there's that thing. Um, so there's a lot of things like that um, that I want to kind of go through this morning. Um... One of the th- tasks that I uh, have before me, if you go to that next slide, Scott, um, is that we want to bring focus to the word love. I, I feel like sometimes when we say God is love, it's a little bit like a like a TV screen that just has noise on it. It's like, oh yeah, that's a catchphrase. It's kind of iconic. Uh, somebody's going through a hard time. We say, hey, God loves you. God is love, and it's just sort of like static. Like, we've heard it so many times, it doesn't doesn't have meaning for us. And I want to bring that into focus for us so it actually has meaning in our life. So, um, you can go to the next one there, Scott. Thank you. Um, God loves me. Past me. And you're like, well, I'm not sure he could love all of past me. Present me, which will be next week. And then future me, which will be um, two weeks away. And Bill Stole My Thunder, he quoted one of my verses that I'm going to use two weeks from now. Hopefully you'll have forgotten it by then and I can bring it back up. Um, we're going to read together. Uh, we often don't read scripture together, uh, although a lot of churches do, but um, this is a little passage that I've actually written mimicking um, uh, one of the psalms that I'm going to preach on in two weeks. Um and so, if you'll just join me, so I want you guys to read the line, "His love endures forever," and I'll read the other stuff. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is love. love so we're gonna have to do a little bit better than that. And everybody to participate, nice and loud. Let me try again. When I say, "Give thanks to the Lord, for He is love,", His love forever. much better. I, these guys down here get it. I can't hear you guys in the back over there. To him who knew my days before I was born, to him who created my inner being, to him who saw my unformed body, give thanks to the Lord, for he is love. love To him who created the tree, to him who was nailed to that tree for my sin. His love endures forever. To him who forgave my sin before I was born.
1: His love endures forever.
2: Thank you. That's pretty good. Um, the psalm that I'm using this morning is Psalm 139. Um, and I just want to uh, read this passage with, uh, with y'all listening to me because um, it talks about Um, this idea that God has seen us before we came into being, that he knows us before we are, um, and that uh, our lives, though they seem random to us, surprising to us, confusing to us, are planned out by him. Psalm 139, this is from the ESV. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So I'm a doctor. And I couldn't just leave that alone, so I um, just wanted to kind of go through one little tiny thing about how cool you guys are, and how God made you. So uh, your body started with one cell, um, and when today, when you're sitting in the audience here, you have about 37 trillion cells, which is a lot. Um, Each cell has around six and a half million DNA bases. And if you stretch them all end to end, you would get uh, something about six feet long from each cell in your body. The sun is 93 million miles away. And so I just thought, you know, um, I wonder how that would work out if we said six feet times 37 trillion. That's a really big number. I don't think my calculator can do that. And then times... um, Let's see, how does that go? Oh yeah, we want to divide it by the 93 million. Um, And the answer is, your DNA in your body could stretch to the sun and back 240 times. And that DNA weighs 5.7 pounds. Which is just phenomenal. What's really cool is, you have all that code all that incredible amount of information to run your body, and you still had acne when you were a teenager. (laughs) Like, you know, all that amazing stuff, and we still have, you know, things about our body that that we don't like. There's something programmed in my body where I I eat a little more than I should. Um, Some people would say it's a lack of self-discipline. I say it's my genetic code, so there we go. Our bodies are quite extraordinary. Um, they're so extraordinary that even today, we don't fully understand how everything works. We've, we've, we've seen the genome. We're able to now know all the DNA in our bodies. We have phenomenal ability with science. There's a whole new category of genetics called epigenetics, where we inherit things outside of our DNA code. Um, Just this incredible amount of information. And yet, there's still things we do not understand about how we inherit um, who we are from our parents. We are complex, amazing people. And yet, despite this, when we look at past me, present me, and future me, we have trouble believing that God loves us. Um, And I think that's because We have an accuser who tries to convince us of some lies. So we're going to go through some of those. Lies like, I've never told anyone about. I have to fix me before. God's disappointed in me. I am just a... You see, the accuser wants you to believe you can't be forgiven. You have done something that can't be forgiven. You can't forgive others. I'll never be able to forgive that person for that. And you can't forgive yourself. I can't. I can't really accept that part about me. I don't know how I'm ever going to get get past that. The Father wants you to know that one, you are forgiven. Two, you can forgive others. And three, you can live in freedom. You can forgive yourself. We're going to go through some of the lies together, um, because I think these are these are powerful things that we. We don't even express, we haven't even thought through them perhaps, but they're they're things that sort of sit unconsciously at the back of our our lives. So the one I've never told anyone about, there can be a lot of things in that category. Uh, What I love about this one is that God has always known that thing that you've never told anyone. And in fact, he died for you anyway. But what's amazing is he died for you because he knows that about you, And that's the thing you need to be forgiven for. That's why he had to die. Here's another one. This is one that I struggle with a lot. God loves me as much as I follow his rules. I I tend towards religiosity, following the rules, doing all the right things, trying to do it exactly right, having my little checklist. I kissed my wife today, check, I did something good. I said something loving to my children. Check. I did something good. I don't know if y'all have this problem. I have this problem. <laughs> the truth is, God made the law, the rules, so that we would be like, oh, I don't measure up. I really do need God's love. The rules are not there to condemn us, but to teach us how much we need is love. Hmm. If I just behaved better, God would love me. I love this one. My best behavior is nothing compared with God's grace. Like we all have this idea. I can't turn to God. I can't get his help because I got to clean myself up a little bit. And he's like, I don't care how much you clean yourself up. You're still not there. You need my grace. That's what you need. Here's another one. This one comes when we go through life and we've done some really dumb stuff with ourselves, some self-destructive behavior, and we're struggling. And we say to ourselves, I've made my bed. I've just got to lie in it. And God says, no, that's not how it works. I want to turn your mess-ups into your ministry. I want to turn your pain into love. I want to transform your past and make it meaningful. Give it dignity. Here's another one, and Skip shared this one a long time ago, and it's one of my favorite little ones. Uh, I've wandered so far from God, it's impossible for me to find Him. So we wander, kinda like the prodigal son, and we wander, and our brains, and Satan tells us that God is back over there where we left Him, God's way over there, and so we say to ourselves. I can't get back to God. Look how far away it is. And when we turn around, God's right here with us, right? I think I put in my little slide. Uh, He's sitting next to you, waiting to give you a hug. God's with us in church this morning, with us all the time. The distance back to God is just turning around and saying, I need you. I don't deserve forgiveness. then you're actually ready for his grace, undeserved favor, and you're ready for his mercy, undeserved forgiveness. I love this lie because it's true at the same time that it's false. I don't deserve forgiveness. You're right, you don't. Guess what? Jesus is there ready to give it to you anyway. That's what mercy is, undeserved forgiveness. Hmm. I wanted to pull that out just a little bit more with a couple of verses uh, that I love Um, this is the translation is the good news translation Um, Isaiah 43 25 I am the God who forgives your sins and I do this because of who I am I will not hold your sin against you God doesn't forgive us because we worked really hard he doesn't forgive us because we finally got our act together he forgives us because that's who God is It's not on us it's who he is Um, and this one this is from the message Ephesians 1 7 because of the sacrifices of the Messiah his blood poured out on the altar of the cross we are a free people free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all our misdeeds and not just barely free either we are abundantly free I wanted to very briefly talk about the difference between God's conviction and the accusation of the father of lies because we, I think we get confused sometimes as Christians um, when we're talking about lies that we believe. So there's this um, thing that Satan does in which he tells us all the things about us that are terrible. Um, and his goal is to kind of... Um, make it hard on us to, to hear the Father. But there are also times when we um, hear the Holy Spirit convict us. And we need to know the difference between those two things uh, to be able to discern that. So very briefly, uh, just like a little rabbit trail here, um, when Satan accuses us, he generally accuses our being. You are good for nothing. You're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. God will never forgive you. That's Satan talking. When the Holy Spirit talks, it's usually something like, Edson, what you just said to Renda just then was not a very nice thing. You probably should go apologize for that thing. It's very specific, and it helps you walk uh, a better walk with God. So, just briefly, so you can start to discern some of these lies. Now, one of the lies that I have not mentioned yet that's an important one is emotional trauma that occurs when we go through something that's really devastating we were abused as a kid or um, someone we loved died our parents died when we were young Um, those things when we say where was God when I dot 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 and not all of us have that in our lives uh, but if you read the email that I sent out um, I went through a little bit of that when I was five Um, I mentioned um, I was living in the states my parents were on on stateside assignment and we got a telegram I was only five years old, but I remember it crystal clear, uh, that my uh, niece, my sister's daughter, had died. It was her firstborn. Um, Her name was Joylene. Um, It was especially hard for a few reasons. Um, It was hard for my parents because they had raised a daughter who wanted to be like them, and she went to be a missionary in Ethiopia, and because she was in Ethiopia, her first child died. Uh, you see, they lived in a very remote area called Muns in Ethiopia, and their um, seven-month-old got diarrhea, probably a, a virus that we would show up at the hospital and get an IV, and everything's fine. Uh, no big deal. But they lived in the middle of nowhere, and they could not get to a hospital in time before she died of, of dehydration. Um, you think about how devastating that is. Um, I talked to my sister a lot about it um, when I was a little bit older. Uh, and there were some things about it that, that she mentioned that had some real power uh, to me. One of them, she said, is most couples whose first child dies, divorce. They don't make it. Um, and she said, Lynn and I, her husband, Lynn and I, after we kind of got through the initial grief... Turned to each other and said, This is not going to split us up. It's not going to destroy our marriage and our walk with God. Um, And so they gave, obviously, time for each other to grieve. Later on, talking about God turning things for good, in their ministry, they noticed they had more impact in what they were trying to do. Um, And one night they were sitting around a, a coffee ceremony with some of their friends. In Ethiopia, you you grind coffee, and you all sit together and drink it. Um, And they said to them, because they had become pretty good friends at that point, we noticed there was kind of this change. And they said, well, when your first child died, we all realized that you were like us because all of us have children that have died. And we realized that that what you were telling us came from someone that was like us. Um, And it had meaning for us after that. Now, I would never say that Joylene died so their ministry could be blessed, but there's no question that God takes what is tragedy and turns it into good. God doesn't sugarcoat life. I love this verse from Lamentations. I'll never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I've swallowed. I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. But there's one other thing I remember. And remembering, I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They're created new every morning. How great your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over. He's all I've got left. We have this idea... I think it's a natural idea that because I follow God, life's going to be good. But the truth of the matter is, people that follow God often suffer more than those that don't. My sister's a great example. Her child would not have died if she hadn't been walking after God. When we follow God, God doesn't say, oh, you're not going to suffer anymore. He says, welcome to join my suffering. Because he suffered for us. So we gain hope, not from the darkness of our suffering, but from the God who sees our suffering and shares our pain. You see, he dignifies our suffering, knowing that he turns our suffering into redemption. I want to spend a little bit of time this morning talking about um, how do I find freedom? What are some of the practicalities? Because we can say God loves us, and I can say a bunch of sort of Good things, but it does like we need practical steps. Um, So I just want to go through some of them. They're a little bit kind of random, but uh, they're all kind of important. Um, And this first one is something that Dory shared with me that I thought was very meaningful. Um, And that is this question What would it be like if I forgave myself? Or what would it be like if I forgave? John because he did such and such to me what would it be like if just ask that question like take away the judgment and the fear what would it be like if my wife knew that thing I've never told anybody about myself what would that be like would it be a disaster or would it be like healing in some way be curious about God's love Like what would it be like to be free and when I lay down on the pillow at night to fall asleep because I'm not worrying? What would that be like? Would that be a positive? Would I be willing to take some steps to get that direction? Um, Some steps for forgiveness. There's often a timeline. Many of these things, especially if we have history of emotional trauma, don't just happen like, in a snap of a finger Um, so there's some things that it's helpful to do Uh, one thing that's helpful I think is to write either a journal or write out the things that you're struggling with here are the people that I need to forgive or here are the people that I've wronged that I want to express to them my sorrow and my apology Um, maybe write an I wish out for each relationship that you would like to heal or, or come to some resolution with Another point, emotions are okay with God. I think sometimes we have this idea that when we get angry with people or we struggle with forgiveness or um, we just have these emotions of um, strong emotions of not being able to forgive someone or hate for someone, that we have to hide those from everybody and especially hide them from God. Isn't that sort of silly that we hide stuff from God? Um, it's kind of like what I used to do as a kid where I would do something wrong and I would go in a dark place because nobody could see me of course God sees in the dark he is light We can't hide from God but we try to um, and then another thing is I think it's helpful to stop doing what I call compartment, compartmentalization or put things in compartments So, like, on Sunday, I'm good, I go to church, I take a shower, I look nice. People are like, wow, that guy looks nice, he must be very spiritual, look how nice he's dressed. And then on Monday, I go in and I'm, you know, terrible to someone, or angry with somebody, or fighting with somebody. It's like a different compartment. I can be mean on Monday, I just have to be nice on Sunday. So I think we need to start dismantling that in our lives and saying, I actually want God to be in charge of my life on Monday just like he is on Sunday. I want God to be in charge of my marriage the same on Sunday as on Monday, as on Tuesday, as on every day. I want to be honorable to him all the days, not with an exception on Friday night. I want, I want to un, unseparate my life and bring it all before God. God. And one of the first ways to do that is to, is to say, hey God, here's all of me. I'm just going to tell you who I am, everything about me. This is what I like to do on Friday night, and you and I are going to have to work this out somehow. This is, this is the person that I really hate. I can't forgive, and I need your help. I can't figure out how to solve this, and I'm tired of hiding it from you. And then after you bring it into God's light... Most of us need a friend, a counselor like Dory, or somebody that we can share that same thing with that we shared with God. Because we need God through another person to help us. Um, Especially true with addictions. So, if you're addicted to drugs or other things, um, most of us have to have someone to help us walk out of that and, and to become free of it. Isaiah 43 Don't be afraid. I have redeemed you. I've called your name, your mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God, your personal God, the holy of Israel, your savior. I paid a huge price for you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. I trade creation just for you. Sometimes we get confused about how we came to know God. I love this quote You were not chosen the day you turned to Christ, that's the day you chose. (laughs) No, my friend. You were chosen in Christ long before the mountains were raised and the fountains of the deep were formed. Through Messiah's death, love not only rescued you, but restored you to his initial hope. You know, it's not a, we're not all in a plan B. We, have, we all, all of us think, I screwed up. My life's over. It's all a big mess. I'm just going to go with plan B. That's not plan B, it's plan A. God has a plan for your life. He knows all the things you're going to do. He's got it all planned out, figured out. Just have to walk with him. You've always been welcome with God. When Jesus was on the cross and he cried out... Um, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. What he was saying was this relationship that he had had for eternity with his father, the three-in-one, the Trinity, had suddenly been severed. And he no longer knew what was happening with his father. Like that relationship where they knew each other intimately for eternity was suddenly broken like all of a sudden Jesus was abandoned on the cross and in that moment in that cry that Jesus made what he said was I've been abandoned by my father so that you will never be abandoned because the price has been paid for your sins so I have a list here. If you'll go to the next slide for me there. Of all the sins that us committed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if I did that, I probably would not sleep this afternoon for my nap. Now these are mine actually. Um, and so now you, you know, confession's good for the soul but very bad for the reputation. Um, we're all gonna stand one day before God. And I, I picture this gigantic, gigantic auditorium, everybody in line. And each of us takes a turn and goes up and stands on that little stage. And we get a list, except unlike just a list where I can sort of disguise what I've done with words, like it'll be a movie and we'll see our life and all the things that we did wrong. And we'll be like, oh man, I forgot about that. Oh, that's horrible. And then we're like, yeah, I probably should go to hell. This is not, this is not going good for me. And if you put up that next slide. As we get to a point in it, we're like, wait a second. I remember I stole that during that scene, but it's turned red. You, nobody can see it. And then it'll play for a little while. It'll be great. Like, oh, I did all these great things. It's fantastic. And then I remember, oh man, I like, I was really horrible to that person. I couldn't forgive them. I hated them and the screen turns red again, and nobody gets to see that part. I'm like, what is going on? Like, this is great. I'm really excited about this new version. Huh. You know what the new version is. If you go to that next slide for me, Scott, the last one. His blood covers our sin, and when we stand at the judgment before God, Our lives are perfect before him. Free. Free indeed. Free at last. Free. There's some cool things that you can do now. First thing is we get to listen to them sing. And the the next song they're going to sing, I love. It's one of my favorite songs. There's a place over there where you can go and receive prayer you can hear that God loves you from someone that's God appointed to be there to tell you that you can give an offering to say thank you Lord you're blessing me and when Jesus died he said do this in remembrance of me you can do this in remembrance of him
0: Thank you, Chris, Esther, for leading us to him this morning, worshiping him. Thank you, Edson, for your message. I'm really looking forward to the rest of the series. I have long thought that the words, Jesus loves you, shared with a stranger, falls flat recently. Anybody feel that? And I, I think it's for this reason, because we don't fully understand the depths of which he loves us. Like we need to believe that deep down in our soul more in order to communicate that with other people. So it's not going to be on Sunday morning when Edson shares this message for 35, 40 minutes. It's going to be throughout the week of you digging into God's word, seeking out his spirit and knowing how much he truly loves you, that you will gain a deeper understanding of that. So don't waste the week until next time when Edson shares more about how he loves you now. Get after it, right? If you don't know where your next meal is coming from, please see one of our staff team, our team members. Uh, Don't forget that Bill and Susan Wilkinson will be over at the info table. You can hang out with them, get to see them, talk with them. We don't officially end at 1230, so hang out, tear down some chairs, uh, have a good conversation. Thank you for being here. Have a blessed Sunday.